Well, we are looking at Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 this morning as we continue our sermon series on the Psalms. We're going to look at these two short Psalms, 127 and 128, and we could consider them wisdom Psalms. They're wisdom psalms that, like the book of Proverbs, these psalms point us to the wisdom of living according to God's commands. That obeying God is wise for us because it is God who creates, created us and knows what is best for us. And Psalm 127 and 128 guide us in wisdom, particularly as it relates to the family. That we want God to bless our families, to bless our spouse, our children, our parents, our grandchildren, our siblings. We want our house to follow the Lord. But these psalms also speak to more than the natural family. They also point us to the family of God's people. That for ancient Israelites, there was a lot of overlap between the natural family and the family of God's people. But for Christians today, we often think of family and church as distinctly different houses. But God cares about both of these houses, our family and our church family. And the wise principles for one spill over into the other. And so we're going to look at Psalm 127 and 128 to hear the wisdom of God as it concerns these two houses of family and church. So you can open up your bulletins or your Bibles. I'll be reading Psalm 127 and 128. Let's hear the Word of God. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And then Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we give thanks for your word. We thank you for speaking to us and we thank you for giving us wisdom for how to live. We thank you for the variety of scriptures that we find in the Bible speaking to all sorts of different situations. And how though they were written so long ago that by the inspiration of your spirit they still speak today with your power, O God, for your word has power. And so, God, we pray that you would use your word today to equip us to live as your people. 
to delight in You and to trust in You more. I pray, O God, that You would use me in spite of my sin to proclaim Your Word faithfully, explaining and expounding it clearly, and that You would give us ears to hear and open hearts and minds to receive Your Word and to be shaped and taught by Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. So looking at these these psalms here, 127 and 128, we are thinking primarily today about the family, but also about the church. It seems appropriate on the day of our annual meeting to reflect on the house that has been built here at Bethel and the house that God builds for each of us. Well, we're going to look this morning briefly at the blessing of family and how God has designed the family to be a foundational blessing. And we're going to consider ways in which we go astray from God's ways for the family and look at four wise correctives to bring us back into the wisdom of God. And then we're going to take those truths and briefly apply them to the church as well. But one of the clearest things we see in these Psalms is that the family is a blessing. That children are a gift from God. Verse 3 of Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Psalm 128 describes the man who is blessed by God as one whose wife is like a fruitful vine, and his children are like olive shoots around his table. That, That vine and olive tree imagery is consistently blessing imagery all throughout the Scriptures. It's like the land flowing with milk and honey, having your wine and your olive oil flowing. And so children and family are meant to be a blessing for people. This was true from the very beginning. That in Genesis, God commanded mankind to be fruitful and multiply. He designed us this way. It's part of His good plan for us. He created men and women in His own image, meaning that every child that is born is another image-bearer of God brought into the world so that His creation has more of His image in it. And so family is meant to be the the foundational and fundamental relationship that every person has in their life. It is the fundamental building block of God's design for the world. God did not create the world and set up a government. He did not create the world and set up a school. He created the world and set up a family. And that is meant to be a good gift from God. But as we see from the Scriptures and as we see in the world around us, sin has corrupted our world. Family dynamics have been warped and twisted by sin, devastating children and adults alike. That some couples are unable to have children. Other couples lose children before birth or when they are young. Parents struggle through the daily drain of raising little sinners in their home. And many parents grieve their rebellious children, lamenting how they have gone astray later in life. And so the blessing that the family is meant to be does cause much heartache. And yet in spite of all these sufferings, children are still a good gift of God. The family is still capable of being a blessing. God's Word is not negated by human sinfulness. And so He is capable of bringing unexpected blessings out of unimaginable hardships. 
problem is that we often fail to enjoy God's blessing of children and family when we veer from His wise counsel. And in veering from His wise commands, we find ourselves frustrated, anxious, or proud. We lose sight of the blessing that God has given to us when we forget the ways that we are meant to walk in. And so, in these two psalms, I want to point out four correctives that God gives us to bring us back in walking in His paths. For He tells us, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Now, as these are passages of wisdom, I want to be very clear that Doing these things is not what saves us before God. We don't do our family right so we can stand before God and say, I have done well, save me. No, these are the wise commands that God's saved people are supposed to live by. Just as the Israelites had been saved out of Egypt, and having been saved, God says, here's how I want you to live as my people. Live out the fact that you have been saved. And so that's what we see in these wise correctives here. The first of them addresses the foundation of our family. On what principles is our family built? Psalm 127, verse 1, addresses this issue. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The imagery of construction is a common one used in the Bible. You may remember Jesus teaching that the wise man built his house on the rock, on that solid foundation, and the foolish man built his house on the sand that sinks and crumbles. That we need a solid foundation for our faith, but also for our family. And so a family foundation is typically some kind of guiding principle that shapes what it is we as a family value and pursue. That foundation directs each and every day, but also our long-term goals. And every family has a foundation, even if we don't know what it is. And there are plenty of possible foundations in this world that we may found our family on. We may build our family on different things. Many of us found our family on family itself, championing love and loyalty to one another above all else. And our family is based on loving each other. We can found our family on work ethic and success, that we are a hardworking family, and we will train our children to be successful and productive members of this society. We can also found our family on fun and enjoyment, that we love each other, and we want to prize pleasure in pursuing satisfaction and following our big dreams. But when we make these good pursuits the foundational values of our family, Scripture says we are building in vain. That these values cannot survive the challenges our families will surely face. See, love and loyalty crack under the sinfulness of each family member. Work ethic cracks under our own failures and the inevitable burden of comparing one to another. Fun and pleasure crack under the suffering and sickness that each family will face over time. And so only when we let the Lord build the house, letting Him set the foundation according to the truth of His Word, will we be able to withstand the unstable forces of the world. God gives us wise commands in His Word for how we are to live within the context of family. 
And letting God, by His Word, guide our priorities as a family will guide us in the good way for us to live that we would enjoy His blessing. Now, this will certainly not prevent all disagreements among the family and certainly not even between husband and wife. But it will enable us to approach disagreements together with the same worldview, with the same goals, as if we are operating as a construction company with the same blueprint knowing here is what comes next. Here is what we are building towards. And so God tells us we need to have this foundation that the Lord sets for our family to see His blessing. So we're corrected in that way. The second corrective addresses the security of our family. Where do we look for safety and protection for our family? Verse 1 goes on, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The author of the psalm draws our attention to the watchman who would stand on the city walls and at the city gates to keep watch for any enemy threats. It was their responsibility to alert the city to any potential dangers so the residents within the walls could rest secure and safe. But God tells us in Psalm 127 that all of that vigilance is in vain without the Lord's watchful eye. Why is that? God certainly doesn't mean that seeking security is sinful. Prudent protection is often wise. There is great benefit in teaching your family to wear your seatbelts. To have a fire evacuation plan in your home. To learn how to use an EpiPen for allergies. I remember whenever we had our first child when Peter was newborn in the hospital and the nurse pulled me aside and gave me a five-minute lesson on infant CPR. And my mind is just like, never forget this. This could be the thing that saves my child's life. I must keep him safe. And like five minutes later, it's over. Like, that's it? That, that's, you think I know this now? I was worried about security. But what Scripture says is that trusting these protective measures for our ultimate security is vain. These are good things. These prudent protections are tools given from God, but it is God who ultimately holds our lives and the lives of our family in His hands. And so we must regularly remember that the world is not safe. The world is not secure. And this truth has been frustratingly forgotten by so many during the pandemic. That there is no such thing as a risk-free life. That no amount of masks, distancing, and vaccines can protect you from every single danger in this world. And before all of this, no amount of helicopter parenting could protect children from any challenges or mistakes that they will face. We cannot protect from every single danger in life. What we are told is that the Bible is the one who protects us, and it, uh, that God is the one who protects us and is our security. That we trust that God is in control. We believe what God says in His Word, that nothing, nothing can happen to us apart from His decree. Now, trusting God's protection does not mean that Our family will be protected from all suffering. But trusting the Lord gives us the ability to endure suffering well. Knowing that even if our family members suffer, God is with us. That even when our family dies, we look to the Lord who is our hope in life and death. 
who gives us eternal security in Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. And so the Psalms tell us, find your security in God. All other security that we look to ultimately is in vain. Only the Lord is behind it all. So he offers us a third wise corrective in here, dealing with our role in raising a family. How do we understand our labor and our fruit in this long work of family? Well, verse 2 of Psalm 127 says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It's the third time the author has used the word vain, and he is thinking about obsessive work. Obsessive work. That family life can have you up late as well as up early. And sleep can seem like a waste of time when there is so much that needs to be done. But God says it is vain to work in this way. Anxiously toiling day after day. Now God is not saying we should be lazy. Rather, He wants us to understand the role of our work. He tells us in here through a number of illustrations that the work of raising a family is not all that different from growing fruit. That cultivating crops takes a lot of work. But it also takes time. And so the gardener can go out and fiddle with his crops all he wants, but they're only going to grow so much every day. We don't have the power to speed up growth and maturity. There is no miracle grow. There is no super growth mechanism to get our kids to grow up faster. I've looked. I've Googled. I don't find it anywhere. And so similarly, parents can only do so much in one day. Knowing the process of growing up takes a very long time. And we see that in Psalm 128, verse 3, where it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Your spouse, an adult, can be a mature, fruit-bearing plant, but your children are just little shoots. Little shoots, okay? They hold much promise, but they still need time for God to grow them By His ordinary means. By the nurture of parents. By prayer to God. By discipline according to the Word. And so our role as parents involves hard work day after day, but God encourages us, find rest in it. Our role is to receive the children God has given to us as a gift that we are then to steward as God grows them. Because only God can change their hearts. We are called to know what we can and cannot do. Parents are called to model godly living and teach according to the world and then pray. Pray for God to do what only God can do. This kind of work doesn't show fruit for years and years, but that's how God has designed it. It takes time to bear such beautiful fruit. And we are called to rest in God's fatherly care, knowing the limits of what we can and cannot do. And so God says to us, know your role. Know that I give the growth and you tend what I've given you to care for. The fourth corrective that we see here is speaks to our desire to take action. Where do we start? 
How do we maximize our blessing as a family? What is the best way? You could go to Christian bookstores or on Amazon or wherever and how to do your Christian family right. Just book after book. What is the best way, the quickest way, the fastest way, the most impact? And the reason is in our technological world, we have grown accustomed to getting a lot done as quickly as possible. Take the people developing this vaccine for the virus. We just assumed people could and would develop a vaccine in record-breaking time and then be able to quickly and effectively distribute it worldwide so the people who need it most get it first. Because that's just what we need to do. Just make it happen. Snap. Do it. We've become so accustomed to the speed of the modern world, and so we expect to be able to make a massive impact in our family immediately. That I'm going to change and do something different today, and by tomorrow, things are going to be better. But is that how it works? Where do we begin? Where do we begin in trying to help our family seek the blessing of the Lord? Well, As we look at our families, I'm sure there's plenty of things we'd love to see improved. We want to enjoy the blessing of God's family. Enjoy the blessings as God has designed it, but the sheer scale of our problems can make us feel overwhelmed. And so God gives us a strategy of where to start in Psalm 128. In the first two verses, we see him start with a person, the man, who fears the Lord and walks in his way, showing us it starts with someone who knows in their heart that God is in control, who knows that we are to follow the commands of God. And the results in verse 2, we are told, are the fruit and labor are blessings. That this fruit of a life lived for the Lord will overflow into the closest sphere of influence, the family. And so we see that this man, his wife flourishes, and so do his children that the fruit of his faith flows outwardly to the family so that they are blessed by his kindness and sacrificial love. And as the family is blessed, we see in verse 5 that the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, that as the family begins to make an impact on the broader community, we see that salt and light effect in the world around us. God is showing us in Psalm 128 that a sure way to make an impact on the world is not necessarily by voting for this candidate or petitioning for better laws or starting a nonprofit ministry. That one sure way to bless the Lord is to first seek the Lord yourself, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. For by doing so, we walk in God's ways and bring his blessings to our immediate surroundings that then, like ripples in a pond, filter out to the places that matter most to us. Now, this won't fix everything. This isn't Eric's plan to fix the world, I promise. But it is God's plan to show us how change can happen and where it starts that he designed the family as that fundamental building block of society. That everything else may pass away. Governments may be gone. Schools may be gone. We may get rid of every organization in the world, but the family will still exist. And so instead of being frustrated by an inability to change things on a bigger and broader scale in a way that will make national news, what if we tried to change things in a smaller scale? Change things that are within our reach 
would that not slowly ripple out the blessing to what surrounds us? So in these two psalms, we are given this godly wisdom for how to seek the Lord as it pertains to the family. And these psalms primarily address parents, especially the parents of young children still in their care. And as someone in that demographic, I need to hear these scriptures to give me hope in a confusing world and to give me guidance in these most important relationships in life. But these psalms do not only speak to the natural family. They speak to our second house, our second family, our church family. For Paul writes in our New Testament reading that you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So for those of you out there not with young children, I think that's a lot of you. For those of you out there, even if your children have been out of the house a very long time, even if you never enjoyed the blessing of children, even if you're not married or no longer married, even if your family is a source of shame or suffering, we have another house, a second house in the local church, a place we can call home. If you think about it, for the Old Testament believers who originally read this psalm, the family and church were almost the exact same thing Because the people of Israel were the people of God. You'd gather together with people, it's like, yeah, I'm related to them. And them. Literally everyone in the people of God. But today, we come to the church as strangers and aliens. We come with all sorts of different people we're not related to. And if not for the church, I'm guessing many of us would not know one another. But the Lord, by His grace, has adopted us as His children, has brought us into His family, making us brothers and sisters with one another. And we are meant to find a great joy in belonging to this church family, building relationships with one another, loving one another, serving each other as we've been gifted by God. And since the church is very similar to the family, these wise correctives overflow and give us guidance for the church as well. That we need the Lord to build the foundation for our church, making sure that we are primarily shaped by the Scriptures. To have the foundational understanding that what we do as a church is worship God and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, having that foundation does not mean we won't disagree on other issues, but it will help us be united together in our primary purpose of what it means to be the church. We also need to find our church's security in the Lord, trusting that in an increasingly hostile culture, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Now, we can make and we can and should make security improvements as we've done over the last year. We can and take action in order to do virus restriction things. We can give thanks to God for the generous giving to give us financial security as a church, but our ultimate security is only found in the Lord who watches over His people and over His church. We must also remember our role as members of the church, trusting that it is the Lord who saves sinners through His Word and Spirit. We can work ourselves ragged trying to manufacture members or cause conversions. We can desperately try to appeal to the world with winsomeness, 
But these anxious activities are no different than the farmer checking how his crop has grown in the last hour. And so we trust that the Lord will give growth as we remain faithful in the task of sharing the word and praying for him to bring fruit. And we are called to remember how we even start in this process. Implementing a new program, holding some big revival seems like it would get people fired up faster. We want to reach as many people as quickly as possible, and I get that. But God calls each of us to seek Him first. God often blesses us one at a time. He uses each of us to be a blessing to others. And so if we want our church to be a blessing to the community, then let us start by seeking the Lord ourselves so that we can bless our family, our church family, and the people we meet in the mission field God has providently placed us in. Remember, Jesus started with 12 disciples. We got more than 12 here. We just added 12, I think, actually. And look what became of Christianity from 12. That happened day by day. That happened week by week as God's people lived faithfully for their faithful God. Think of the history of Israel. God chose Abraham. Years went by, he got Isaac. Years went by, he got Jacob. Years went by, and slowly but surely, God blessed them. And they grew. God has blessed many of us with two houses of influence. Two places where we can live out our faith in close contact with those we love. And so let us rejoice in the gifts of family and church. Let us trust in God by obeying His wise commands. We know that God will be faithful to His promises because He has already shown us that through His great salvation in Jesus Christ. And so may we pray for the grace to be faithful, praying for God to continue to do good in and through us, both at home and in this home, in our church, that we would glorify God in all we do. Let us pray. Oh God, we give You thanks for today and for Your many blessings. We thank you for the blessing of family and we thank you for the blessing of church family. And we pray, O oh God, that you would help us to love your law, to follow your wise commands, to be empowered and equipped by your grace to live for you, to know that we cannot do it in our own strength and you are there to pick us up when we fall, to know that we will be imperfect in doing this and yet there is good that comes out of it, even if that good is not always material good and comfortable living. Help us, O oh God. And help those who are in young families, help those who are raising children, help those in the church who are trying to fit in and belong to this family. We pray, O oh God, that you would pour out your grace upon us in amazing ways and help us to live simply for you, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.